Welcome to the College Scoops Podcast. I'm your host, Moira McCullough, and today we are talking with Betsheva Frankel about how we can learn and teach in a different way. But certainly there were other ways you could have totally expressed what you knew, especially if it was in an authentic way that actually had meaning to you or in a creative way that tapped into something that was creative. That would have changed your entire school uh, experience. So that is why it's for those students and really for all students to show what they actually know in a way that is meaningful for them and helpful and relevant for them. That to me is how teachers should assess for understanding. This is the College Scoops podcast and I'm your host, Moira McCullough. We focus on everything college-related, from the admissions process to where to eat, stay, and explore on and around campuses. Our guests include founders, educators, authors, and experts in the college space. Join us as these experts share their knowledge, experiences, and lessons learned to help you have stress-free, informative, and tasty college journeys. Whether it's your first or last child going to college, or you're just interested in going to a college town for a game or meal, we've got you covered. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the College Scoops podcast to get the inside scoops on everything college-related, and leave us a review. Thanks to all of our sponsors, partners, and the entire College Scoops ambassador team for helping us bring valuable content to our community. If you would like to support College Scoops as a sponsor, please head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash college scoops and sign up as a sustaining listener, insider, or deluxe sponsor. We have exclusive benefits for our members, even a College Scoops care package. Batsheva Frankel, the producer and host of the podcast, Overthrowing Education, is a veteran educator of over 25 years and the founder of New Lens Ed, through which she gives online and in-person workshops, courses, and coaching for universities, conferences, schools, and educators across the U.S. and around the world. In 2017, Baram House published her book, The Jewish Educator's Companion. She is currently working on her second book, which explores creative and authentic assessments. Check out her podcast on all podcast platforms and at overthrowingeducation.com. Welcome to the College Scoops podcast, Batsheva. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You are a rock star with podcasting. So the fact that you're even coming on this show, I am so honored and grateful for you taking the time because I love listening to your overthrowing education. So many interesting topics. I'm binge listening to you. That's awesome. I love that. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. When we first talked, we needed to go to a cafe right. and like continue the conversation. <laughs> How did you move? Your, your background is so diverse and you were in the film industry and then you move into education. What prompted you to make that transition? So such a good question. Uh, it's yeah, I did not take a traditional route to education. <laughs> I was in drama school at NYU. I went into the film industry uh, working in film and I really loved it. I First I was in New York and then I moved to Los Angeles and I, I loved working in film for a while, but after a bit, it really seemed to, um, for lack of a better way to say it, sucked my soul out. <laughs> and And I thought, you know, I'm just not happy anymore. And I love film and I always will but I just wasn't happy. And I thought, 
I wanted to do something. I didn't feel like what I was doing was meaningful. And I always wanted to do something meaningful. And I knew that I could be a good teacher because I had taught acting since I was 19 years old and I love teaching. And I had such respect for teachers and I had been blessed with great educators in my past. And so I thought, you know what? I want to make a real contribution to education. There's a lot of issues with education that I, I didn't even know what I know now about really how many issues with education there are. But I knew that I wanted to try to work towards fixing those and, and doing what I could. So I made the change into education. I can imagine what it would be like in your class. I just think with the background of teach, acting and teaching and being able to transfer that information in a way that as a student, I would probably be so engaged with that type of delivery. Is, did you find that? Was, did you find it an easy transition? Were students gravitating to you? So the easy part was that part. The students, and generally speaking, the students and doing kind of the more creative things that I was doing. Because honestly, when I first started teaching, I didn't really know what I was doing. There were times when I, you know, my acting training came in because I would act like a teacher, what I thought that whatever that meant. And again, I was blessed to have some great examples of creativity and, and wonderful teachers in my background. So that helped. But um, yeah, I just, I naturally was doing things that I didn't realize what they were until later, like creative assessments and feedback um, and different, different things that I was doing, but so I poured so much creativity into it. And, and that was really, the kids really loved that. It sometimes was harder to convince certain administrators. There are certain schools who absolutely loved that about me. They thought it was fantastic. And, and they helped push my training along by sending me to workshops and to, you know, that, that I could really use and to conferences and things like that, which was great. Uh, but there were some educators who didn't understand what I was doing and why I was doing it. And because I wasn't very traditional in that sense. Conformity. And anytime I, yeah, conformity, anytime I tried to do something traditional, I did it in a very untraditional way. So even if I had to give a test, like for whatever reason, my tests were really wacky. So, um, you know, I just, it, it was great. And I think, you know, for, the, for most students, they really connected with it and um, appreciated it. Did you do some things that you wish you had experienced as a student in class? Like was learning easy for you? Yeah, no, that's actually um, important because um, it really was easy for me. And, um, you know, I was a good student, meaning I, I'm great at memorizing. So if the teacher was doing, you know, where they just, you just need to spit it back out on a test, I, a great test taker. So I think it's even more important when I explain to people why I don't believe in tests and quizzes that they understand it's not because I wasn't good at them. I was totally good at them, but I don't think it actually reflected necessarily unless it was a really well-written test, what I actually knew. And so uh, there were teachers who, who did a better job of it. So, yeah. So for me, I was a good student. And sometimes that was because I had a great teacher who really motivated me to learn, but I, even being a good student, I could tell the difference between a class I was really engaged in and a class where I was going through the motions because I was a good student and uh, and therefore, you know, what did I actually get out of it? Mm, probably not a lot, except the grade, which is to me ridiculous. Um, that's not the reason to learn. But 
there were teachers who um, really plugged into and tapped into my curiosity, my interest, uh, and 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 that to me was really wonderful. And so for those classes, uh, anybody who was in my situation would have been a quote unquote good student because it was fascinating, it was interesting, um, loved what we did. I had an experience, I just have to say, I had an experience because I'm so used to being a good student and not really understanding for a while what my students who had challenges were going through. It was hard for me to relate. But thank God it was early on in my teaching career. Uh, I went to this um, intensive to learn a language. Uh, it was to learn Hebrew. And I was, they only had two levels. It was like either beginner or advanced and I was neither. And so I didn't wanna start from the beginning with the beginner. So I went into the um, advanced class and I was lost for so much of the time absolutely lost. And I was terrified. This is me as an adult, terrified that the teacher would call on me and I would, my mind would freeze and everything else. And I was so grateful for that experience after it was over because it really helped me understand how certain students feel like when they're called on and they don't understand the question or they don't understand, you know, or they're shy or they don't want to embarrass themselves. Like all of those reasons, I went through it all and it gave me a new empathy for students who go through those things and it changed my teaching because of it. That is so important because I was not a good test taker and I had some great teachers who if only if I could go back to them and just say oh my gosh you were amazing. It, I just was struggling so much with trying to learn in a way that was hard for me and then going to business school I'll never forget when I walked into a classroom my confidence just I was my worst enemy I forgot everything. It didn't matter. I knew it. I went in and I flunked my econ exam. Now I know, I knew it. And I remember I asked the teacher, professor, if I can meet with him. And he was a traditional professor who maybe didn't think that women should be in the classroom, maybe. And I'll never forget. He, he only asked me one question. He said, where did you go to undergraduate school? And I'm thinking, oh, that's an easy question, but why is that of any value? And I told him, he closed the book, and he said, I have nothing else to help you with. That explains it. And I'll never forget, that was such a teachable moment to me because I thought, I've been my worst enemy for so long, but how dare you treat me like that? So I looked at him and I thought, game on. Went outside, told every single person in the class, they had study groups, they were like, Team McCullough, we are gonna get you through this. I go into the exam, sat in the front seat, because I used to sit in the back and tie my shoe whenever he was in a call, but he always called on me, even when I wasn't right. in the classroom. And the first question was a mathematical question, and he wrote it wrong. So he, so five minutes in, all of a sudden, I'm like, this can't be right, I know this. And then all of a sudden, the smartest person in the class raises their hand. Now, this is in my MBA class, so I'm in late 20s. Right? There's always a smart person in there. Raises his hand and he's like, Professor so-and-so, I think you've got the equation wrong. That man did nothing but look at me. His face went pasty white. And he said, I'll give you extra time. I said, I don't need any extra time. I went, I aced that exam, but I walked out of there and I thought, why couldn't that have happened to me earlier? The way the teacher made me feel or didn't know how I learned. And then all of a sudden, for me, I had the confidence to say, game on. I will not be treated like that. I can learn in this, in a different way manner. Right. But 
that and that also might be because you were in your 20s. Can you imagine Absolutely. that you're in high school? You're it's just gonna beat you down and make you feel defeated. And so, but certainly there were other ways you could have totally expressed what you knew, especially if it was in an authentic way that actually had meaning to you or in a creative way that tapped into something that was creative. That would have changed your entire school uh, experience. Absolutely. And it would have been so rich. So that is why it's for those students and really for all students to show what they actually know in a way that is meaningful for them and helpful and relevant for them, that to me is how teachers should assess for understanding, not a test that, <laughs> I mean, I've, I remember, as I said, I, I had to give tests sometimes and I remember getting something wrong or not being clear about a question and having, and having students, my seventh graders pointed out to me and I was like, oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. So, yep, you'll get credit for that because that answer also works. So, you know, that kind of a thing, but, um, but it's where I just saw that tests are flawed. What did you do? You were teaching for a while and then you started Arate Institute and New Lens Ed, which is, I'd love you to share a little bit about both of those. Sure. So even before I started, uh, it's now called Qualia, the school for deeper learning, but it used to be Arate Preparatory Academy. Um, but before that I started independently with, I was working in other places, I was giving workshops and were in positions where I was training in teachers. And I really, really love that. So then I started, um, I actually had won a contest uh, that was a Los Angeles wide contest. And I got a grant to create these games. There were educational games that dealt with big philosophical issues. And so I did that. And I thought, oh, I'm going to do that until I realized that I'm not a business person, at least I wasn't at that time. I've since worked on it. And so um, I, I thought, oh, I kind of actually need another job teaching. I need to go back into teaching really. So I, cause I was working on that project and I went into, I, I started working at Arte and immediately became very involved because I saw that it was a school that really valued so much of what I valued and in term in, in great education. And it was also a school that was evolving and growing and, and interested in growth. And so I was working there. I was also an administrator there for a long time. And the head of the school and I uh, started something called the Arate Institute. And the main thing that we did while I was part of it, um, the main thing, we did some kind of cool workshops and, and these conferences on game-based learning, but was this podcast overthrowing education. And that he kind of handed it to me and said, you know, it's your baby, you know, do it. So I really poured a lot into that. But at the same time, I was finding that I really was getting more and more work pre-COVID, flying all over the country and, and to the UK and working with teachers from Japan to really start training teachers. I developed uh, this methodology called Lenses of Questioning, which, you know, maybe we'll talk about later. But I, I started teaching like all over and I, I was enjoying that so much and I felt like it had a great impact. I uh, had a book of mine published. And so I was just really enjoying that aspect of it. And so I kind of went all in on that. And just for me, just being Bacheva Frankel doing these things, I became, I, I created New Lens Ed and this organ, you know, this, an actual company. And so I've been really working on the podcast still, still sponsored by the Arte Institute 
um, and now the school Qualia, and also doing New Lens Ed, which has been very exciting. And of course, it really hit big <laughs> during the time of COVID because all the teachers needed so much help with online and, and how to do that. So I um, really, I, I know a lot of ed tech and how to use it, how to use it thoughtfully and creatively. And so I was doing a lot of my workshops and just doing them online all the time, uh, presenting, you know, I used to go to conferences and present. Suddenly I was doing all my conferences online. So it was really, that was really it. And my impetus was always the same as it was from the very beginning when I first went into education, which was I wanted to have the biggest, uh, hopefully, you know, deepest kind of uh, effect on education, like positive effect on education to really make help be one of those changes of you know, everything that's going on to like really contribute to that conversation and make things happen. So to that end, still working on it. <laughs> and is that more from, you know, when you talk about that and some of the changes, what, going in and giving those workshops to teachers to kind of take them out of that traditional mode of teaching and sharing with them different ways that students learn. And you, you had, and this may, may or not be relevant to this, but you, when we talked, you mentioned discovery, that one or discover. I think there was a philosophy that you had right. about discover. And I took notes. So it was, <laughs> it was demonstrate, indicate, synthesize, continue, offer, verify, exhibit, and rouse. Yeah, right? well done. Um, yeah. Th and that's specifically, those are discover um, assessments. Okay. So as I said, I really, then uh, that's the book that I'm writing now is on a discover assessments because I'm trying to help teachers understand and administrators and everybody understand the damage uh, or just the non-helpfulness of tests and quizzes and how it would change education entirely if we would focus on authentic and creative assessments and I call them discover assessments because they do so much more than a test or quiz could and they not only tell the teacher so much more but they also help the students so much more. So those are all the things that you mentioned in that acronym are all things that I want to go into an assessment. So what would it, that assessment, can you give us some idea of what that assessment might look like? So I'll give you an example, and I've used this a lot because um, when I was first, before I had solidified what all of this meant to me, but I just had an instinct that it would be more helpful. I had to give a final in an English class and we had done uh, Macbeth was when I had to give a test on a test on Macbeth. So instead, what I did is I offered all of these sort of very creative ways to for students to express what they know. And it was a whole list of very creative things. Um, they could do it through creating a CD where every, this is back to the time of CDs folks, <laughs> as a while ago. <laughs> Um, where the students would put together like a sort of a soundtrack for Macbeth, every scene and every, and it, it would show the emotion. And then they, they would put together all these songs and then they would write liner notes. Remember liner notes that would explain why each song for each, you know, each character might have a theme song, each act, each scene. And they would go through and explain it. And I could really tell from that so much more than from a test. Did they really understand the mood, the tone, the 
what was happening in the scene, who the characters were, what the relationship was, what that scene was trying to say, that was such a clear way to do it. I also, or they could do, you know, there were, but I would give many, many choices of how they could express it. Um, I had one student who was an amazing artist and she did five panels, one for each act. And she did these incredible panels. I, I can't even describe it. I still have the, the paintings because she gifted them to me, which is amazing. Showing everything that kind of happens in the acts, but in a very not, some of it was symbolic and some of it was representational and kind of a combination. So smart. So like, you could just look at that. Anybody who looked at those would be like, oh, that's act one, act two. <laughs> like she nailed it. It was so amazing. But I had this one student who came up to me and she was crying. And she said, you gave all these creative options, but I'm not a creative person. And so what do I do? And so I said to her, well, what are you interested in? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, like, what do you want to do with your life? And she said, well, I want to be a therapist, like a family, you know, marriage therapist. I was like, oh, that's really great. I said, do you think the Macbeths had a great marriage? And she was like, no, it was horrible. <laughs> and I said, so what would happen if you were their marriage counselor and you gave me, you know, you know, the, all the sessions from your counseling with them over the course of the play? And she came, she was like, her eyes lit up. She was so happy. She went home. She gave me the most amazing assessment where she was in the, in the files. And it was like the files of, you know, and, and she had every session and it was so creative and it was so amazing. And she delved into every bit of it. And I could tell that she knew that play inside and out and all the deeper things and everything about it was so, and I was like, don't you ever tell me that you're not a creative person because this is the most creative thing I've ever seen. It was amazing. So how, but you can see once she tapped into the thing that made it relevant or interesting or creative for her, she was able to show me everything she knew in that way. But it was because you asked the question, like you cared enough or you were thoughtful enough in the question line of questioning that you asked, right? You, right. Because so you, that's, I could see when you, when you first presented that, I thought, oh, I'm not creative. So that would have just given another layer of stress. Right. But as a teacher, you, you asked a question that led to another question that light bulb went on for that student. And I always give a thing at the end where I say, you know, after I give whatever my choices are and I talk about what each one would entail, or maybe I'm only giving two choices or three choices, I always give a space to say other you know, come talk to me. If you have an idea, come talk to me. So, um, and I think that that's really important because like you said, not everybody connects with the different things, you know? So you have to figure out what is it that would connect for that student. I once had a class where it just happened that everybody loved baking. They just were all super into baking and cooking and everything else. So I actually did, uh, I had done a different, creative assessment for uh, Midsummer Night's Dream the year before. But for this class, I, they all liked baking. So I totally changed up my assessment for something they were interested in. And I did something called the um, Midsummer Night's Dreamy Dessert Challenge. <laughs> and so they had to come up with a dessert based on the play. And all the ingredients 
had to make sense for different parts of the play and they had to explain it and they had to actually bake it. Okay. And then we had, I brought in some judges to come and be like <laughs> the judges. And then they gave, and they had to present their dessert and talk about why this dessert. And, you know, it was like a whole, it was, it was a whole big thing. Now there's a lot of kids who are just like, ah, just give me a test. It's a lot easier. That's not the point. Yes. For some kids, it's easier to take a test because they know they'll ice it. It means nothing. And they're going to forget everything two weeks later, but that's not the point. A discover uh, assessment is really to synthesize the material. And if there's students out there that hear this, then, you know, if you can gently suggest <laughs> or talk to your teacher about it, um, you know, different ways for you to express your learning. It's hard for kids to advocate for themselves, but it's really important. Just like that student did for me, even though I was trying to do these, you know, creative and whatever assessments, she still had to advocate for herself. And that's really important. As a teacher and an administration, how do you assess that? So that's probably the pushback that from an administration point of view, okay, great. How do you assess that, that piece of work? And then how do you transfer that into a GPA, into the transcript? So in the days when I was grading, I would do things like rubrics or whatever to show them that kind of thing. But in my later years, I didn't grade things. And not only that, um, if it was, for instance, presented, and even in my earlier years, it was presented. Um, I always had the class kind of start out and, and critique everything. Like, you know, first I let the people talk. Did, did that go the way you wanted it to? Mm -hmm. Is there a place in there that you would have changed it if you could? Like, if you, especially if it's like a performance or something like that, like, what would you do differently? I have the audience talk, you know, the audience, which is the class or me or whoever the audience is, say, start out with what did you like about that? Like, very specifically, you can't just be like, it was good. You have to be very specific. And I did this with middle school, elementary, you could do it with any age, high school for sure. What specifically worked for you? Um, and let students say that. And I do the same thing. This is what really worked for me on that. Or here's some things that really worked for me. Um, are there areas that you might want to ask a question about? Like, I wonder if you would have tried this. What do you think might have happened? You know, those kinds of wondering questions that kind of might lead to some constructive thought about doing it better. In my later teaching years, I actually would allow students to go back and fix whatever it is or to, to um, you know, because I'm not interested in a grade. Like, I want you to get the A. If you have to get a grade, that's what I want. And until you get that, then why, why am I giving somebody a C or a D or an F or even a B or whatever? Like my goal as a teacher is that you master this material. And therefore, I'm going to do everything I can to help you master the material. Now, a student doesn't even try. If they're not even going to give the effort, that's a different story. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't help you learn if you don't at least give it a shot. But I'm willing to let you in the same way that like I'm in a play right now. We rehearse all the time, right? We keep rehearsing to make it better and better. When we get to that performance. Even when we do that performance, the, the director doesn't go like, okay, well, that's just the way it's going to go. And I guess it'll go that way tomorrow night. The director gives notes. 
so that you can improve the next performance, right? It's never done. So it's really, and even if you nail it, like there's, that's great. So for my students, I really want them to be able to not feel afraid of failing if they try, but knowing that it's a rehearsal potentially, unless you like what you did and it's all good, then you mastered it. You showed me you mastered it. We're good. If not, keep working it, keep working it, bring it back. So. So is that when, and you had ref referenced it earlier in terms of the, the lens of questioning, is that kind of ties into that in terms of the framework and how you get students engaged and curious and teachers knowing or having the skill sets that they need to embrace that type of teaching method and, and get their students to be active participants in that lesson. Absolutely. It's absolutely everything that you said. It's very connected. One of my biggest, one of the things that I'm seeing and I've seen it for, and I've been teaching for 25 years and I would say I've watched this happen over at least the last 20 years. And maybe it was before that um, because I see it in a lot of adults that students aren't really taught critical thinking skills and how to really analyze something. And the key to doing that, one of the keys to doing that is to ask good questions. But mostly students either don't really ask questions that really lead to deeper learning. They ask, you know, I don't know, teachers are also asking a lot of what I call teacher questions, which means that they're asking for things that students could find in the text, mm -hmm. right? It's like sort of comprehension, kinda. I remember doing that as a student when teachers would ask that and I'd just be, I was just really good at knowing where to look. I don't know if I knew the answer. I just knew how to find the answer. I was like, oh, because they took it like straight out of the text and all you had to do is go back in and find it, which is why I was really good at um, standardized tests when I was a kid, because those are the kind of questions that they asked. Is it this, 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 and this? I'd go back and I'd just peruse. I just happen to be really good at it. But it's also um, easy. I'm sorry. It's also easy, an easy yeah. assessment to give, right? Because it's totally. just, it's not thoughtful, like in right. terms of an at all, which is why I'm really not into multiple choice or as one of my teachers called it multiple guess. And sometimes it was, and I just have to be good guesser, but um, yeah, it's, and it's not teaching you anything. It's not right. So I wanted to help students ask a wider variety of kind of question. And in order to do that, you actually have to sort of train people to do that. You have to train them for how to do that. And the teachers themselves also need to have that permission to, oh, I can ask a wider variety of kind of questions. We, teachers usually have kind of a go-to kind of question. And if a student connects with that kind of question, they'll do well. And if they don't, they're either not going to answer it or not going to know how to answer it, or they're not going to connect to it. But if both teachers and students understand how to ask a wider variety of kind of question, then that's really helpful. And because everything I do, I try to make it student centered and, uh, and engaging and fun. So there's also a game-based aspect to it and a fun aspect to it. So it's really, uh, lenses of questioning is really based on the business model called the color hats of thinking, which was big. I don't know, hopefully it's still big, so it's very clever. Um, but I wanted to do that through education, which is really the lenses that we see things through, which is why I changed it to lenses of questioning. 
And, and so each color, there's six different colors and each one of them represents a different kind of question. And so the teacher, I train teachers to do this, to do all of these activities with their students to help them, first of all, understand all these lenses and how to use them. And it really helps students, first of all, focus their questions to know how to ask different kinds of questions that are very focused and to get the kind of information that they want. And they also, the activities that I do with the teachers or train the teachers to do with their students also allow all the students to participate in a conversation, in a discussion, in, you know, instead of just having those one or two students that are always going to answer the questions or whatever, especially if they're just raising their hands. This is very much about trying to provoke curiosity, deeper learning, help students with how to analyze things. So that those are my goals. And it's really fun. <laughs> well, because each one, as you said, each color represents a different role, a different way to approach a situation. So you could, you could say, I'm a, the conductor's hat, because I was you one day the, the hats, blue right? hat, right? right. Or, or you're going to go along the basis of the red hat, the hat for the heart, or asking in a certain Right. So angle, the difference, right? right? So the difference is for the color hats of thinking, their idea was that instead of having a whole group try to approach a situation, you should put people in groups with the hats they wear, the color hats they wear. And so um, that, so that kind of helps them focus, right? So those are the hats, but with the color lenses of questioning, it's what are the kinds of questions? So sometimes you would put students in groups like this group's going to ask five yellow questions and this one's going to ask, you know, five green questions, five blue questions. And each kind of question is completely different. And it's a way of like, if you have a piece of text, you can analyze that piece of text. Ask Because I used to ask my students, you know, give me three good questions on this piece of text, right? What are questions? And inevitably they would either not answer because they didn't know even what I meant or they would ask me what, like I said, those teacher questions. And I would say to them, can you find the answer to the question you just gave me in the text itself? And they said, yes. And I said, so then do you actually really care about that question? And I'm like, <laughs> no. I said, give me questions that you care about. But once I started, but that was before the lenses, that was still really hard for them because they're not trained to do that. They don't understand how to do that. It's actually been trained out of them. You know, kids used to ask those kinds of questions when they're really young, when they're in kindergarten or first grade. And then somehow it's, you know, I don't know, trained well, out I, of them. Well, I also think when they were younger and they used to ask those questions, you were exhausted. You're like, oh my gosh, another, because it's thought provoking, <laughs> right? Right. And now you have a, a teenager as well. I, I had you know, th three and all of a sudden you're you wish it would be back to that five-year-old where they were asking all those questions. Because they really even... wanted to know. They right. were so curious, right? right? So it's bringing yeah. back that curiosity that, and I love the word that you used to permission, like permission both from the student's perspective to be able to ask and get out of the comfort zone and teachers to be able to teach in a different way. Um, so I love that. That's, you have a, a, a difficult challenge right a charge that you're leading and I, I think it's absolutely wonderful because as you said the critical thinking and just kind of the basics and technology i think has not helped but you can use it in a way as you said to to promote that 
Oh, definitely. Learning. When I first started coming up with this, when I first came up with this and I was teaching it, I wasn't teaching it vis-a-vis tech so much because we're doing a lot of in-class stuff. And then I started to like in-class activities, movement and all, all kinds of stuff. It was really fun and exciting. There was, I have a, a kit that people can do where they can make it themselves with a die, a special die that has the different lenses on it. And then there's games I give to play. But when I, I started doing more tech stuff online, I or just more tech stuff, I kind of added in that component, like a second kind of a workshop part two kind of a thing. And then when everybody kind of went remotely, I was like, okay, I got to figure out all these things. And I was teaching all of these different tech tools. So then I thought, oh, well, they should be doing these, not just remotely, but using these same tech tools out, you know, like how do you use them to do these activities? So then I really came up with how to really integrate technology too. So it can be both. It can do just the the sort of non-technology activities, but also the um, technology activities. And I've, it took me a long time to figure this out, but I also, I was always teaching my course in person. And I was like, how can I replicate the amazingness of that? And so I made some modifications, but I actually turned it into a, a asynchronous or a, you know, do it your own pace course that they can do online. And it, it was uh, really fun to put together. And, you know, it's so. The timing was so right to try to go to that virtual environment. People were at a loss. And how do you transfer yeah. that knowledge, that, that curriculum in a way that could engage, engage students? So anything else that you would like to kind of share with with any teachers listening or students listening in terms of how they can find your classes or the curriculum? Because you said you suitcase it out as well to different districts. So, I mean, you know, I'm doing workshops online and um, as well as in person at some point, it's going to start happening soon. Uh, So any of that can be found on my website is uh, newlensed.com or you can find me at Batsheva at newlensed uh, and then.com and um, my podcast overthrowing education which is on every platform and also overthrowing education.com uh, people can find it there and you can really hear a lot for both students I would I really love when students listen to that because students also need and parents too need to know what great education could and should be. They really do. Um, Otherwise, if it's just the teachers who are trying, and I know the teachers out there that listen to my podcast, they're doing this work. They're trying. They want to grow. They want to, you know, make some real changes. Um, But they also need the students to know, and they need the parents to know as well. Absolutely. I was going to say, you can have the administration and the students, but you do need the buy-in of the parents because inevitably it's a team approach and yep. um, it's it's one that, it's a partnership. Yes, so, it really, really is. It's super important. What do you wish? I don't have a game show like you do. So anyone who's <laughs> listening, get ready for the game show on, on overthrowing education, but- Yes, I do have do game you, shows. Exactly, what do you wish you knew before attending college? It's such an interesting question because first of all, I attended college so long ago. It was really long ago. So things were really different. And I had such an amazing experience there. It was just so incredible. So I think one of the, the one regret that I kind of have was 
I was having such a good time. I went to drama school at NYU and I, I really loved it so much. And at that time, I loved New York City so much. And I toyed with the idea of doing like a semester abroad or junior abroad. And I knew that, you know, I'd have to rustle up the money for it and figure out how to make it happen. And I kind of just didn't do it because I felt like I loved New York so much. Like why go to all that trouble? But looking back on it, it's really my only regret. I wish I had done that when I was younger. I wish I had found a way and I wish I had just even a semester or a year abroad or something just to get different ideas and different perspectives and just, you know, have that experience. Because once you get older, it's really hard to have that experience when you have to start like paying your bills and I mean, you know, and paying back your student loans and all of those things. So I think that's one of the things I, I wish I would have known how important that experience would have been to me. And the other thing, which is, I had no idea at the time which friends of mine were going to be my lifelong friends. Mm. So I had a ton of friends in the drama department and who were performers and all of those things. And some of them I'm still actually friends with. But my dearest friend, one of my dearest friends in the whole world was a business student who then went on to become a lawyer. Now, I don't think I would have even realized I would have been friends with her. I don't even... I sort of know how we became friends, but she became so important in my life. And so that's the other thing is just open yourself to all kinds of people. It's so easy to stick with the people who are interested in the things you're, but you never know who's going to be your lifelong friend and change your life and be there for you and all and you for them and all of those things. So just, I would say, I kind of wish I knew more about that, more to open myself up to other people. Oh, it's so important. That weren't like me. Well, you think about it now with, each one of my kids, they had a questionnaire to fill out, you know, for their roommates. And my whole thing was like, throw it out. If I wouldn't have picked my roommate, who, to your point, you 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 explain how you're very very good friends with this this person who, on paper, would have been very different from you. Totally. And the same thing with my roommate. We are so opposite, yet I am grateful for that she's been in my life and continues to be a strong, yeah. you know, very supportive friend. And actually, the only reason why I met that person is because my original roommate, my freshman year, who they threw me in with, I had two roommates, one who was gone all the time, and the other one who made my life so miserable, it was so awful, that who, a million years later, we found each other and she apologized, which is lovely. But, um, just saying. But at the time, she made my life so awful that I went and got my room changed for the second semester. It's because I did that room change that I was on a different floor and I met this, this other person who then the next year became my sweet mate and like, and now my friend, you know, for life. So, well, that is something else that everyone needs to know too. Students, you know, if, if you're in a situation, advocate for yourself and 100%. it doesn't matter where it is, when it is, but it will, there's so much good that can come out of it. Yes. That's yes. worth, worth doing. I would say always make sure to advocate for yourself. Absolutely. Always, always, always in a nice, polite, respectful, respectful. way. I, but, absolutely. But never, never not stick up for yourself. Right. <laughs> no, there's a way to do it. And there's a yeah. way to do it where you'll be successful in exactly. the outcome. So. And it was only because of that, by the way, um, that I was successful in doing that because I was a freshman and they put me second semester with a senior in a gorgeous, big room. 
And it's because I was super polite and respectful and I wasn't demanding. And the, and because of that, the person who was doing it gave me that opportunity. And that was really, it was really life-changing. So on so many levels. So always, if people do it with respect, don't be afraid to stand up for yourself. But, and that goes for teachers too, by the way, in the, and everybody in the world at large is, you know, stick up for yourself, but in a, in a really respectful way. I say it's so easy to be kind and it gets you so far. So but much it's further. So, so hard that right. pe- people don't do it. And I'm right. like, that's a no brainer. Right. So but easy. not kind in a um, doormat way. Absolutely kind not. in just the way we deal with people, right? Well, it's it's the art of debate, but doing right. it in a way that right. you you agree to disagree. Really and really the world important. would be different if everybody did that. Yes. It'd be a it different world. Be. So we also talk about desserts or food on a college campus. But I would love to hear you being in New York. I remember when I went to school, we would cross the state lines to go into New York to go out for nightlife. So if you have any nightlife suggestions, I'm all ears for that as well. Well, when I was at NYU, um, nightlife was a little different because it was the 80s, the early 80s and mid eighties. And um, so I don't even know if the places that we used to hang out still exist. Um, I was in the village, which as a young person was like the most fun place ever. It was such a blast. And uh, that was your semester abroad. I'm just telling you. Right. That was my four <laughs> years abroad because I grew up in Colorado. Exactly. It was definitely four years abroad for sure. Uh, very different than Denver at the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, we had places like our big hangouts were a place called Googie's, the Olive Tree. There were lots of good places, you know, any any place where the sangria was cheap and good. And, the you know, and if they had good food, bonus, just go down the street and be anywhere in the world almost. It was really, really nice. That's that's the beauty of New York. And, and yeah. that, down in that area around NYU, you just find a whole different culture, different. Yeah. And it's so much fun just to explore. So, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. You had, I love the energy, um, and I'm I'm so glad that I can see you and the smile, <laughs> and and everything that you're doing with um, helping students and helping teachers and parents like myself to embrace a new fr- new way to kind of learn and be curious. Great. Well, I thank you so much for having me and giving me this opportunity to chat with you and share with you. And I love what you're doing and it's it's just so important. So keep it up. I will. Thank you. Thank you, Betsheva, for joining us today. As a change agent in education, you highlighted various methods for how students, parents, and educators can work together to have the biggest, deepest, and most positive effect and impact on education with a new lens into learning and teaching. Questions are at the core of learning. Training our students and teachers to ask a greater variety of questions will create a richer learning environment. The art of asking questions is to ask questions that lead to a deeper discussion, questions that provoke curiosity, and develop critical thinking skills. Every student has different challenges learning, and teachers can learn to teach in a way that engages students at every level. You can find all of our show notes and links to the helpful resources mentioned throughout our conversation on our website at collegescoops.com podcast. You can learn more about Betsheva and New Lens Ed at newlensed.com. Please take a couple of minutes to rate, review, and subscribe to College Scoops.
Thank you for listening to our College Scoops podcast. Our entire College Scoops team strives to make the college journey a little bit easier, less stressful, fun, and tasty by sharing all the inside scoops we have curated along the way. We would love to hear from you about topics to cover and your ideas on everything college related. Reach out to us at collegescoops.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.